Hi, welcome. I'm Yolanda and I'm reading to you from the memoirs of President Joseph Smith III, 1832 to 1914. And um, we're on page 70 and chapter 10. The chapter heading is Forenoon. Life work, and the section heading is where to go. Enjoy. The questions where to go and with which body of believers in the restored gospel to identify myself could be easily canvassed and answered now in the light of events that have passed. They were not so easy at the time I had first to decide them. Many things were involved over which I prayed earnestly, greatly needing and desiring light and direction. Should I wish to join with the Utah faction, I should be under the necessity of going to Salt Lake City and either ask to be received on my original baptism or submit myself to the ordinance of rebaptism, the imposition of which had become universal out there. Applied at the dictation of Brigham Young, who decreed that all passing over the rim of the basin should subject themselves to that rule. I was satisfied that President Young would not receive me upon the terms of the first alternative, for to do so would have been a contradiction of his avowed politics. As to the second, I believed that the baptism I had received at the hands of my father had been a sacred and as effective as any baptism performed since the days of the Saviour could possibly be, and that the ordinance of laying on of hands for the reception of the Holy Ghost, which ordinance was administered by my Sunday school teacher, had been efficacious for the purpose designed, and that I had indeed received that gift. Did I wish then to forfeit what spiritual blessing, power and standing these ordinances had given me? Could I afford to throw discredit upon either by casting it aside and submit to a readministration? My feeling strongly revolted against such a step, for I felt it would have required me to throw away every sense of sacredness with which I had accepted the ordinances in my young boyhood and tactlessly. I don't know what word that says, sorry, I repudiate that which I had received. This was a course distinctly at variance with all the instructions I had received on the subjects from my father, from the pulpits of the early church and from its Sunday school teachers. And there were other phases of the question. Should it be possible for me to go to Brigham Young and ask and receive rebaptism at the hands of that body? By that act, I should be permitting myself to be inducted into the changed policies adopted by the leading authorities of that church and virtually subscribing myself to their acceptance. These changes included the dogma and practice of plural marriage, then quite generally called polygamy, and a number of concomitant sorry, I don't come across this word often, <laughs> theories which, as I believed, had come to seem necessary in advocating and defending the faith, as publicly set forth in Utah. Such a course was repugnant to me in countless ways and was one which I could not omit even to contemplation. Further, read baptism out there 
would require administration of the ordinance of laying on of hands as taught in the New Testament, Scripture, the Book of Mormon and the Revelation to the Church as contained in the Book of Covenants, all of which I thoroughly believed such an ordinance would have to be performed by either Brigham Young or those under him who might be assigned to the duty. If the reports of well-established facts were of worth, I felt justified in believing that some of the men who might be appointed to this task had either personally reddened their hands in the blood of their fellow men or were responsible through counsel and countenance for others doing so, as witnessed in the Mountain Meadow Massacre of 1857. Reflecting on these matters, I asked myself, could I bring myself to accept baptism, confirmation or other ordinances administered by or under such hands? Under, excuse me, as a citizen of the state of Illinois and of the Republic, as a student of the laws of state and nation, and as one who had heard and read much about the great struggles for political and religious liberty, which have taken place upon this land of Zion, I decided I could not conscientiously ally myself with those who could, according to apparent facts, be justly charged with such crimes. Thou shalt not kill was an unchargeable law. Un, was an un... Blah, 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 blah. Excuse me again. I will begin again. Thou shalt not kill was an unchangeable law written deeply upon the sacred tablets of rock in Moses' day. And while the law of Moses made nothing perfect with the bringing in of the better hope, there came a repetition of the same divine commandment as cited by the Master in the New Testament record. Likewise, again, in the revealments of Christ to the church as reinstated in latter days, which revelations were given as law to govern his church. This command came as a reenactment and given in such force as to fill the scope of the wondrous prophecy. Quote, I will write my law in their hearts. Thou shalt not commit adultery has also been engraven in the rock as a law to the Israelites. This too was reenacted by the voice of the master in the meridian of time and reenacted and reinforced again in the Book of Mormon and in the doctrine and doctrine and commandments in the latter day church therefore i felt i could not consent to ask for baptism and for a confirmation which would be administered by the hands of men who by submission to the direction and dictation of brigham young had helped to fasten such evils as adultery and bloodshed upon the body politics of the church and to write them into the faith and doctrine of the church further to accept membership in the Utah Mormon Church under its president Brigham Young upon any terms either upon my original baptism or by accepting baptism and confirmation at their hands would have been testament or tantamount to admitting that their claims that my father was responsible for and the human author of the dogma and practice of spiritual wifery that it existed as a sublime theory of self-abnegation in the flesh to be rewarded in the world to come by a sublimated and spiritual personal association between the sexes and that subsequently it became the doctrine recognised as plural marriage now commonly 
called polygamy. Such a step on my part would be, in effect, to concede that such claims were true, that I had knowledge to it, and that my father was indeed compromised in the introduction of said dogma and practice. Such a concession would have been untrue for all the knowledge that came to me from observation and experience as a member of my father's family up to the time of his death and in association with the members of the family who survived him clearly and unequivocally contradicted any such conclusion. I was not a believer in any sort of extreme theory concerning the sublime sanctity of human affections between the sexes while in the flesh, nor did I accept the theory of what was taught as platonic love, for I believe the only persons of ex- opposite sex between whom such love could exist were those who were abnormally emasculated or those in whom a natural love was not possible to admit sorry to admit that my father was the author of such false theories as were being taught or that he practiced them in any form was not only repulsive in itself to my feelings and strongly condemned by my judgment but was contrary to my knowledge of and belief in him would serve to neutralise at once the intention I'd formed to redeem his memory from false accusations and make honourable in the sight of men the religion for which he became a martyr and would result in an utter failure on my part to accomplish that which I felt divinely urged to do. I did not feel it was necessary for me to make any such confession confess, confession openly or tactly as would be involved in an affiliation with the organisation that had made those charges about him, his teaching and his contact. And I am grateful as I reflect that in over 50 years of active service dedicated to the objects I had in view, there has never been presented to me any evidence worthy to be called proof by which I have been compelled to reverse the conviction of my judgment on these important matters made at the time I took up my ministry. Nor have I been called to suffer shame before God a man by having to receive and admit a knowledge that my father was guilty of such growth immorality as I deem that which was laid to his door. Or such wanton forgetfulness of divine precepts and utter disregard for the clear direct commands of God given to him through revelation as have been charged against him. The high regard for womankind, that is a part of my nature, may not be trace may not be traceable alone to heritages. Or heritage oh gosh, here I go again, tripping over my words. <laughs> Let me start this again. The high regard for womanhood, that is a part of my nature, may not be traceable alone to inheritances received from my mother but as for as my father's son I also represent the qualities inherited from him and the entire group of forebears from whom he sprang I am glad to reflect now after 55 years of married life a long and close acquaintance with men and women and a studious observation of social relationships and the laws governing them that this high regard for womankind is justified in the history of the race and sanctioned 
by the divine word and counsel of the master, by the revelations from God in the Book of Mormon, and if such a thing were possible by the still higher direction and commands given to the church in revelations through my father, which have become a part of its institution and embodied in its gospel economy. All these foregoing considerations could have been sufficient to prevent me from joining the Utah faction, even if I had not the further reason that I had already received what was to me a definite intimation of the will of the Lord in regard to the matter. For it had been clearly stated to me that the light wherein I stood was greater than the light in which they moved. Concerning some of the other factions, I reflected thus. I could not join myself to the little band at Silver Creek in Iowa under the leadership of Alpheus Cutler, for they had become imbued with peculiar philosophies which were not acceptable to my reasons. Among these was the idea that the redemption of Zion immediately imminent, through which belief they were careless with the money and goods of this world. In many respects, they were honest and virtuous, helpful to each other, and their morality unquestioned in the community so far as I knew. No opportunity seemed offered me in that direction for the exercise of those powers which urged me to carry on as my father had begun. The movement in Texas under the direction of Lyman White had failed following the introduction of polygamy, which quickly broke into pieces, broke it to pieces. The effort made by Bigan, Binghamton, Lee County, Illinois, by my uncle William B. Smith had failed also, and for a somewhat similar reason it had gone to pieces. The work of James J. Strang, strange, on the islands in Lake Lake Michigan had also proved ineffective because of the introduction of polygamy and the idea of setting up Strang or Strange as a king, a title unknown in the gospel economy as clearly revealed in the three standard books of the church. Strange was dead, his work had crumbled and his followers had indeed followed his last injunction given to his secretary Ed Chichester Tell them to scatter and to take care of themselves as best they can. I'm going to leave that there and let you think about all those things. I think that's quite a um, quite a lot to take in and um, I'm happy to read it and reflect upon it. Catch you in the next episode.